Hi, this is Darren Dockerman, one half of the Inglorious Trexperts, and we just want to encourage you to not only listen to the Inglorious Trexperts, but also listen to our sister podcasts, the 430 Movie and The Rebel and the Rogue and The Best Movies Never Made. We have so much for you to listen to on the Electric Surge Network, so give it a listen. Welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Uh, as always, I'm your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing, Steve? I'm good. How are you doing today? And joining <laughs> us today is a fantastic screenwriter of amazing, ridiculous genre films, Mr. Todd Farmer. Fantastic might be pushing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like them. That's the important part. Um, and Todd is here to talk to us about, as we'll get into many things, but most specifically uh, Halloween 3D. Um, but before we get to that, why don't we just kind of take a step back. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry, because you're not only a uh, writer, you're also an actor, often playing the same dirtbag character. That is true. What's his uh, name? Is it Frank? Frank normally. Frank. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. How'd, how'd you break in? What was kind of the, those early days moving out to L.A.? It was, you know, a pickup truck and garbage bags full of clothes and drive out on a hunch and sleep. I slept in a hammock for three months and just sort of. Was that in someone's place? It makes it sound like you just slept in the park. <laughs> no, I, it was uh, it was behind a house where these three girls lived. And one of them I knew, it, you know, through a friend of a friend. And uh, I stayed there for three months and then got a place of my own. Uh, I had reached out to Dean Laurie, who wrote uh, Jason Goes to Hell, and now he's on to, he was in Arrested Development for a long time, or wrote it. And uh, he's the one who said, you know, if you want to do this, come on out. And so I, I came out and I started working with him within maybe three months and uh, been working ever since. Oh, right on. And not to get off topic, but uh, you just touched on something. I always feel like I don't have a ton of screenwriting advice to give mm -hmm. people, but one thing I do always say is, unfortunately, I feel like you kind of have to move to L.A. You do. That's what he told me. Yeah. I mean, I had I had sent him I sent him a script that was a it was a fantasy script about uh, uh, it was sort of a rom com fantasy with dragons, and um, he read the first. 30 pages and threw it in the trash and called me. He was very polite about it. He said, I just threw it in the trash. So I read 30 pages. And he said, you have absolutely no idea how to plot or structure, but you got some really good ideas. I can teach you the rest. Hmm. And he said, if you want to do this. Well, actually, we spent some time and we wrote. Uh, he asked me what ideas I had. And I said, well, I've got a Bigfoot idea. And he said, ah, I've seen Harry and the Henderson. I said, no, a scary Bigfoot <laughs> idea. And he said, OK, fine. So we so we basically came up, came up with a concept for that. I wrote it. He paid me a thousand bucks, I think, against two hundred thousand if it got made, and uh, and it was great. And then he eventually said, "Look, if you want to do this, you got to move out." So I just I did. By the way, I've had so many of those deals starting out. The like, oh, oh yeah. we'll give you three thousand dollars <laughs> against a hundred thousand. I'm like, oh, great! And those great. movies don't get made, no. so you're like, oh, I'm only getting paid three thousand dollars here. Um, and then, what had you done anything? So in between the Bigfoot and then. Jason X, which was kind of your, was that your first produced script? Jason X was, yeah. Yeah. How'd you even get hooked? I mean, it's interesting. You reached out to the Jason Goes to Hell 
Got it. Was that part of how you wound up in the Jason camp? Just a fluke. I mean, I was uh, building barns in Atlanta, and a buddy of mine had gone to school with with Dean Laurie, or his girlfriend had gone to school with Dean Laurie, and, and Major Payne had just come out. And so we'd just come out of the theater, and he was like, oh, I know the guy that did that. And uh, and so that's how I... That's that's how it all sort of started. So oh, I wow. knew some, you know, friend of a friend is sort of how it started, and so I came out that way. It's always who you know. It is, yeah. <laughs> and you know, it, it's and Dean taught me. I mean, I, everything that I know today started with him. He's the one who introduced me to Sean Cunningham. That's what, you know, I worked for Sean for three years. I, I mean, I worked in the maids' room out of a rocking chair, just a little bitty computer, and and that's I wrote everything Sean wanted written for three years, and probably wrote twenty scripts for him. In that three-year time, oh wow! And I don't think I don't think there were any. There was no horror because he didn't want to do horror at the time. We were doing you know delinquent kids in Spanish Harlem and you know courtroom dramas, and I was like, dude, I'm from Kentucky. Let's just do a horror. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how. Wait, what was the delinquent kids movie he made in the eighties? Trying uh, to oh the uh, new kids, new oh, kids, new yeah. kids, yeah. Um, well, even Jason X was a little because like, that was originally going to be kind of like a, a Blade Runner. That was a plan. Riff. Yeah, I mean, we kicked around a bunch of ideas, and uh, but I mean, it was like silly stuff, like you know, I mean, you know, Jason in Harlem and Jason, you know, in in the Middle East, and it was, we threw out everything we could think of, <laughs> and they said Blade Runner would be too expensive. And I said, well, what about aliens? Because we can, you know, we could do that for a budget, and so that's where it came from. Oh, was there supposed to be a sequel to that? I read it in Fangoria that there was supposed I mean, to be. The plan I read that Williamson had had planned. Two extra movie, two movies to to follow, which I think later turned out to be BS. He was just he wanted uh-huh. to get more more work. Now he may he may say that's that's incorrect, yeah. <laughs> but I don't believe him. And uh, I thought the same thing. So the idea was to have the second movie take place on Earth two, and then at the end of that movie they send they send Uber Jason back in time to the 1980s, so he faces himself. So that was the three movies that I had planned. Oh, man. Because they, they had so many tie-in books with your Jason X character with the silver <laughs> mask and everything. I thought it was so dope. And, and those are Wait, actually like collectibles. Novels? Yeah, like yeah. tie-ins. Oh, man. Which are like collectibles. Sure, I, I love that idea of sending them back, like the Terminator with Jason. No, that's pretty that's dope. Was, <laughs> yeah, I was just, well, I mean, basically, Jason X is ripping off aliens, so mm-hmm. why not rip off the Terminator as well? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to rip off James Cameron keep doing it. Oh, there you go. And was it kind of just the, because I know that was part of the long gestating phase that we've already touched on in an earlier episode of the mm-hmm. show, which was building up to Freddy versus Jason. Mm-hmm. Did it kind of just seem when that came out that that killed a Jason X follow-up? No. I mean, it. Um, I mean, the reason Jason X happened was because of that, mm-hmm. because it had been in development for so long. I even did a draft of Freddy versus Jason because I was the in-house writer at the time. And uh, funny because uh, Sean sent it to New Line and said, you know, here's here's what I would like to do. And New Line sent it back saying, we really just don't think it works. But they never opened it. Like they sent it back in the same <laughs> the same envelope and it had never been opened. And, and what we was like, your Freddy versus Jason? It was, uh, I think it was just a big event. I, I would have to go back and look at it. But it was, I always thought it was King Kong versus Godzilla. It was just a big event movie. And, uh, you know, it's taking Jason and putting him in Freddy's world most of the time. Oh, right on. Love to check that out. And at what point did you, like, yeah, how did you end up connecting with Patrick Lussier? After I left Cunningham, I was I went in and pitched, uh, you know, I'd run out of money, and I reached out to my uh, agent saying, is there anything? And she said, yeah, you know, everybody went to Revolution Studios, and they pitched this thing that they want to do. It's sort of the shining on a farm. 
and you know, no, they couldn't, they never heard anything they liked. So why don't you go give that a shot? And I'm like, why am I just hearing about this now? So anyway, I went out and and I gave them a pitch, which was, you know, was my idea was sort of a, the horror version of a beautiful mind, and um, and they they loved it. And so within 24 hours, I had the job. And so when that when they wanted to hire a director, they hired Patrick Lussier. So that's how we met. Oh, right on. So, and then that movie later became The Messengers, so it went through several different changes. Well, then we were talking about, before we started recording, uh, the funny arc of that, since in the way The Messengers wasn't really the mo- script you wrote. No, not so that was So your original script was kind of an no. unmade movie. No, I got a story by on that. And when you see a story by, normally that means the movie is nothing <laughs> close to who got the story by. And uh, so, yeah, I, I wrote that. It got written by eight different writers, became something completely different. And then years later, J.R. Young, who was working for Ghost House, who did release Messengers, uh, he gave me a call saying, look, I just read your original script, and we think it would make a great prequel. So I wrote one <laughs> script, got two movies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Like Mission and Missing in Action. Yeah. What was the Messengers prequel called? I'm trying to remember. Messengers 2, The Scarecrow. Ooh. <laughs> um, and yeah, well, then you guys did... Uh, why my brain my, my bloody, bloody valentine yeah. followed valentine. by drive angry was yeah. there any kind of how long i'm guessing I'm trying to figure out how how soon after drive angry or was it even before drive angry that halloween 3d popped up halloween 3d started right before drive angry that was the whole we had pitched it i think around 2008 2009 we pitched scanners hellraiser and halloween to bob and Nothing came of it. And then right before Drive Angry, Bob had sort of wanted to get Drive Angry and couldn't. And so he had reached out and said, you know, we want, you know, let's, let's do Halloween. And so we started talking about it. And we were, it was just one of those things where everything had to be done fast mm-hmm. in order to go into production and get out of production before Christmas because we had to be in production on Drive Angry in January. And so it was just, it was a, just a, it was a marathon race just to get it done. Where was Halloween 2 at that point when you were offered it? Came to us, I think, they were, I mean, Rob was shooting at the time. And Bob came to us saying, you know, I want you guys to come in and and take over. And so we already had that that idea that we'd pitched ages ago. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of tweaked it a little bit so that it would fit with what Rob had done. And then um, when they pulled the trigger, we, we, we had, I think we had 10 days to write the script. We had to have it done in ten days, or, or it wouldn't. We wouldn't be able to move forward. And so, while Patrick was out hiring, Gary Tunnicliffe came on. All these different people came on. He's out there doing that. I'm writing the first draft. And it was it was one of those things where you write and you eat and you sleep. You go take a crap. You come back. And you write some more. <laughs> yeah. And it was. Just, and I was in my office and never left the office. I mean, day eight, I reeked. It was just I was writing constantly. And in eight days, we turned it in eight days later. And uh, on day ten, they planned on pulling it the plug and so because we pull, we'd already turned the script in they had to pay us <laughs> wow. I mean so. were you able to see the ending at least of Halloween 2 or anything to jump off of or like since yeah they, they were shoot- Bob had sent us you know we had the, the little CDs the DVDs that they'd sent over to us so we'd seen the movie okay. I mean, it was it was a rough cut of the movie but we had seen it so we knew so our our script started I think maybe 20 minutes before their script ended so we adjusted some things went from there. which is interesting because i have that scream factory that big mm-hmm. halloween blu-ray cube right. they released and i realized 
I hadn't quite noticed before that 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 only has zombies director's cut yeah. of Halloween 2 which has a radically different Much ending different. than the yeah. theatrical I mean I think it was that cut that had Bob call us and say you got to got to come in and do some stuff and but that was before I think that was and I could be wrong but I think it was before they went back and did and changed that yeah yeah, yeah I um I do like the theatrical ending but I like Halloween 2 a lot I, I think when I first read that Rob Zombie was doing Halloween his Halloween 2 is what I wanted and I, I like yeah. it and I love his theatrical cut ending and I love how your script opens continuing from it yeah you know yeah, yeah I, I like that too really um, it. which is a good segue to just kind of getting into what happens in the script but before that I was going to ask when you have that short a period of time what is even the story breaking process you and Patrick went through I mean fortunately for us we always have fairly in-depth outlines so it it sounds more remarkable than it was because I'm not I'm not writing and breaking story at the same time it's already done Mm -hmm. so I'm just basically turning an outline into a script and you know, adding the proper dialogue and making sure everything flows and that sort of thing. So it wasn't. It sounds more impressive than it really is because by day four, I stank. Yeah. <laughs> and and but it was okay because you know. Well, how, how much time did you have to actually come up with that outline though? The outline, I think, you know, I, I don't remember how long it took, but we, you know, we took probably a week or week or so, yeah. just you know, playing around with it. But we didn't. It's we weren't under pressure, so it was easy to to come up with the outline. Plus, you know, we we loved the franchise. Like, people will say, what's your favorite movie? I don't have a favorite movie. But Jaws, Empire Strikes Back, and Halloween made me what I am. And so the, the influences growing up with those, Halloween was one of those. Patrick is the same mm-hmm. way. And so to have the chance, I mean, this will always be the one that got away. Yeah. Because we didn't get, and, and it, this wasn't the first opportunity we had. Like, I had, I had pitched, I don't even remember what the pitch was. I had pitched a Halloween 9 years before. And then we also had, to Bob. Yeah, and then we also did, uh, you know, so after Halloween 3D, maybe a year or so later, we, we did um, Halloween What If, and then after mm-hmm. that it was more a Halloween kind of reboot. Uh, so we, we were constantly coming up with a story for Halloween. Just never happened. <laughs> yeah, because it looked like it was taking them forever on the Halloween 9, and then they brought Zombie in, and then mm-hmm. after the Zombie... After a few years after Halloween 3D, then that's when they were kind of like juggling yeah. again. Yeah. And I believe, yeah, and you got to go through all of that. <laughs> that's yeah, pretty that's, wild. That's, as lovely as that is. <laughs> Oof. Well, I always thought it was interesting. It'll be key- I'm very curious to see how the Blumhouse phase shakes out. Because one thing when you're just staring at that Scream Factory box set that's very clear is they would never make it past the first sequel every right. every time they kind of it was Halloween one and two then they tried three that didn't work so they kind of started over again with four and yeah. they got to five and then they kind of started over again with six then yeah. started over with the H two O and they got to <laughs> Resurrection had to start over again got two zombie movies so I keep <laughs> saying to Turek I'm like I don't know yeah knock on wood you guys I mean I think it's a good I think it's good that it's landed where it's landed because they're going to keep making the movies yeah. and that's mm-hmm. what I always wanted that's what Patrick always wanted so I mean we were the first ones to well we weren't the, I don't know we were first but the moment we heard the announcement that we didn't get the job you know we were the first to reach out to to Malik and say congratulations. We're just glad that the you know it's moving forward. It lives on. Yeah. 
And, and the thing is, it being in 3D, you guys just did such a phenomenal job with uh, My Bloody Valentine 3D. Because I saw it in the theaters, and it was like everything I wanted from a 3D movie. It felt like I was a like, kid again watching like an 80s yeah. 3D movie. Because like, I grew up in the 80s going to see Metal Storm and movies like yeah. that. And it was that 3D that just comes at you. You know, yeah. like Tom Atkins' death in My Bloody Valentine was phenomenal. Yeah. And so when I'm reading this script, it was like for Halloween 3D, it was like you guys were perfect for it because your yeah. 3D death scenes were just Oh, I was like, oh man! I can, especially we'll get to it. The aquarium one. I was like, I yeah. can see this. This is all these <laughs> yeah. death scenes are built for 3D, just like how My Bloody Valentine 3D was. That that was Atkins. I don't know if you if it said that in the script or not, but that character was supposed to be Tom I Atkins. Was getting <laughs> so that was like a great a great because there's great. a moment when that character walks into a room and 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 the shamrock's playing on the TV. So he has some comment about. I did that. love so that, that was, the silver shamrock yeah. ad is playing. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's that, a gr- and he's the one that. Kicks the TV off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he, he says, and what's awesome about that, too, is it's a great way to count down Halloween is coming yeah. by using that ad. Absolutely. And it was like, it was perfect. Well, let's I just thought. get into it. Um, yeah. So, we already kind of teed up that this takes, <laughs> yeah. basically starts in true Halloween fashion right after right. the first movie ended. Uh, why don't we just kind of start walking through it? I mean, how well do you yourself remember the script? Well, I mean, you guys just read it? Yeah. Good. Then we're, yeah. Go- we're golden. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's one of those things. It's weird because it's one of those things. Normally, when you work on a movie, like you know, we just did Trick, and we did, we did, you know, draft after draft after draft. Certainly, when we get into production, and so you read it and you read it and read it. This one is unlike any of the others because we wrote it, and that was it. Yeah, it was dead mm. within ten days, and so there was no reason to go back to it. There was no reason. So it's it's not as imprinted in my brain. And then, it's not like. You know, it's not you don't go back and visit the scripts that you've already written because it hurts. Mm-hmm. You know, this is one that hurts. So you so, yeah. So I mean, you guys will have to remember okay. stuff that's <laughs> yeah. going on. So sorry about the pain. But certainly the uh, when um, when it came when it came to us, the Bob definitely wanted to do 3D, and since we were coming off of of Valentine, that was a big deal. And Valentine again, we kind of stumbled in on that. We didn't know 3D would look like that. Because this was the first live action. I mean, you had uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth, but it was different because a lot of that was CG. A lot of that was was not live action. Mm-hmm. And so this was the first time, like, we didn't know what it was going to look back look like until we started seeing playback. Because we thought it was, you know, Jaws 3D or, or Friday the 13th 3D. We thought it was, you know, something flies at your face. And we got a lot of face flying. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we didn't ex- we didn't we didn't expect the immersion, you know, like... You know, the, the miner breaks through a door and you, you're in the room on the other side. It's just that we weren't expecting. And so mm-hmm. that was lovely. And so coming off of that, Bob was very insistent that we do this in 3D. And so. Would have been cool. Would've well, been. it's kind of walking through it a little bit. So uh, for listeners to recap, the end of Halloween 2, the theatrical cut, ends with uh, Laurie. Michael and Dr. Loomis all in this like cabin out in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by yeah. Sheriff Brackett, who was uh, Brad Dourif's character, and all the other like cops. Um, and Loomis ends up dying. Michael ends up dying. Laurie kind of goes like the cops shoot him through the window and he falls on some like machinery and gets stabbed. Then she goes crazy and stabs him a bunch more. But then she walks out of the shed wearing Michael's mask. And it's kind of like she's gone insane mm. now. And I like that. You were going to show all that, and then it was going to be like her POV, classic mm-hmm. Michael Myers through the mask POV. And then as she takes the mask off is when we get our Wizard of Oz transition now into yeah. 3D. So the movie opens flat. 
It yeah. opens just like any other movie, which we loved. And then we also we love the idea that you know she's he's sort of molding her into becoming what what he would like. You know, he doesn't want to be alone. At least that's that's was the thought yeah. process. Mm-hmm. And so he's molding her into what he wants her to be. And so the moment when she's stabbing, she thinks she's stabbing him. She's actually stabbing Loomis, which I thought was just great. And then we'd also heard rumors that uh, they, that maybe somebody didn't want the actor to come back. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was no keeping him alive. But then what I like about the structure of the script is that there's actually an extremely long uh, almost you'd call a prologue, which is just the mm-hmm. direct follow-up of that night, which mm-hmm. is Laurie comes out with the mask, um, brackets, you know, concerned about her daughter has just died like an hour earlier yeah. in, in the end of part two. Um, they're taking her away in the car and Michael attacks the car and kind of like screws it up and it flips over and she sort of has a moment where Michael's like, come with me and, yeah. or she can stay with the cops and she's like, yeah. It runs off with Michael and there's this whole like night chase that like leads down. Well, first they go to the cemetery and dig up their mom because they're brother and mm-hmm. sister for those who don't remember. Take mm-hmm. her corpse. A bunch of teens show up just to be drunk and partying. Michael kills all of them. Uh, one of our main characters we meet here, Amy, she gets pushed into the coffin by Lori with her decapitated boyfriend and the lid shuts and there's just like blood squirting from his neck into her face. Um, all this kind of madness happens building up to Lori killing Sheriff Brackett shoots him in the face uh, after Michael supposedly gets killed again. I like that this one, they're kind of, mm-hmm. you're, you're addressing the fact that people are like, nah, Michael's dead. I think at some point someone even <laughs> says it. Like, everybody says he's dead. And they're like, they always say that. And then he always comes back. Right. Um, but then we jump forward almost a full year, a few more, three more days till Halloween mm-hmm. as uh, <laughs> Silver Shamrock goes. Lori and Amy are both in the same kind of, it reminded me of like Girl Interrupted, mm-hmm. if we all yeah. remember that, mm-hmm. Angelina Jolie movie, where it's like a, a female only uh, for teens, young right. adults or whatever, psych ward. Lori's been there getting like re physical rehab because she gets all like fucked up um, at the end of the prologue. Amy's just been there because she's been so screwed up by getting pushed into a coffin by Lori with her decapitated boyfriend. Um <laughs> And then we kind of really click into, I guess what you would say, like the body of the movie begins, Mm -hmm. which is there's a Detective Goodman uh, who is convinced that Michael's not dead. They didn't find his body, of course not. Mm -hmm. And he's still out there uh, trying to find him. And it's all kind of building up to what's clearly going to be a showdown at the psych ward. Right. Amy was oh yeah, Amy was supposed to get released, but as she's getting released, she like sees Lori and attacks her, which is I feel like happens multiple times in the script that I like that she's yeah. just anytime she sees Lori, she's filled with murderous rage. Plus, um, Lori, you, like you can't get a handle on her what she's like. And that's what I liked about this as well. Yeah. It was such a good bookend to her character. Is yeah. she good? Is she bad? And bringing the Amy character to counter that, I thought was really cool. Well, she has yeah. like because she keeps having like multiple mm-hmm. chances really to like. Yeah turn fully good mm-hmm. and then never quite does like there's I even made a note there's a moment where amy's like apologizing to her and they're like trying to make amends legitimately but then for some reason when they go in for their like they're hugging mm-hmm. it out then laurie whispers in her ear my brother is here and he's gonna cut you from your throat to your insert c word here yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you want to offend our audience's <laughs> delicate ears um, but I'm just, it's just like, whoa, yeah. Lori yeah. is gone completely batshit <laughs> crazy. Um, and then to kind of highlight what, 
What's fun about it, it's, it's fun to read a 3D script where you're clearly like trying you're to just, emphasize, like, yeah. eh, this is clearly going to be in 3D. And one really gross bit that I feel you should steal for something else, because I don't think I've seen it before. The closest I can think of is, well, the bit is that, um, uh, what's her name, Josie, who's kind of like our adult female lead. She is mm-hmm. uh, Amy's doctor, like therapist at the psych ward. Um, and is also in like a romantic relationship with Detective Goodman. But there's a scene where Michael is like trying to stab her with a syringe and she's like fighting back and he keeps getting closer and closer to her eye and she's wearing a contact lens. So like the (laughs) tip of the needle starts touching the lens and just like pushing in on it. And I'm like, that's gross. The closest I think I've seen to that is just that bit in... Gangs of New York, where because oh, right, Daniel Day yeah. Lewis has his glass eye, and there's that really creepy part where he just oh, yeah, taps his own that, yeah. eye with a knife. But yeah, that was a anyway. You gotta you great, reuse that for yeah, that. Cool. That was a great get because I think the 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 uh, the lid it kind of snaps backwards when the contact. Uh, oh, like the contact inverts. Or yes, something? it's so good. And then there's another good syringe scene, scene later on with Michael Myers with a great blood spurt into mm. the audience as well. But all but really quick to go back a second, um, Michael Myers when he gets his mask, I think is a great scene too because we find out that the mask has been um, mass produced or, or it's been um, dis uh, discontinued. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, I, and there was like one more left on the shelf, and then Michael it's the old Kirk mask. Oh, I love that part. Well, there's yeah. also an element too that he gets. The mask kind of gets like melted onto his face. Oh yes, that's in during the opening twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the opening twenty minutes is so phenomenal. It's like such a, it's like this movie is pretty much bookended by an, a phenomenal batshit twenty minutes, and then a following twenty yeah. minutes of nonstop, and then you have all this story in the middle. It's just I, I love how it's bookended. It's almost like well, Rob Zombies for the first twenty, and then you go into your own movie. Yeah. We didn't want to. We didn't want to ignore Zombies movie. So the the idea was always okay. Let's go back and tell that story and give it our ending, which is basically Michael Myers falls off a cliff in the back of an ambulance and he's on fire, and you just see you know poor Tyler Maine you know, with with the mask melting to his face. And so the next time we see him, which is in that it's, it's you know it's one of those Halloween shops that opens it you know in. In June of every year, yeah, <laughs> and, and he's in there, and he finds that one last mask, and it's and he puts it, you know, he's got this mask burnt to his face, and he puts the new mask. So he he moves from zombies T Rex to Carpenter shape. That was always the idea, anyway. Oh, right on, cool. Uh, another speaking of, you kind of mentioned the fish tank. Would you say that was going to be Atkins' character? Yeah, it was supposed to be Tom. That was a fun one. We're seeing inside the fish tanks with 3D fish, and then Atkins gets his Michael shoves his head through the fish tank, and then in kind of that opening broken hole of glass, then he like saws, saws his head off just <laughs> using the serrated glass, and then his head's left floating. It really is remarkable yeah. that we get paid for this. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's so good. Uh, oh, we also had someone who gets stabbed through the face with like a long wooden spear and then of course you get the classic 3d shot from like the bottom of the yeah. sphere as their whole head <laughs> slides down but see we never knew that when we did when we did uh, valentine like we we when we wrote it or when i wrote it at the time i you know we didn't know what the 3d would be so nothing was written that way it was it was once we got on set things started changing to to take into consideration of 3d we knew during drive angry and we knew during halloween 3d so it was nice to be able to write to what you knew 3d could do that was different Oh, and the whole thing's building up, which would have been a pretty cool visual set piece, is uh, as far as Halloween imagery that keeps getting alluded to, is there's the Great Pumpkin, Great Pumpkin. event in town, which 
if I'm understanding correctly, it was going to be like a super humongous yeah. jack-o'-lantern that you could like walk inside yeah. and stuff. Uh, and then a fire starts there at the end and there's a battle inside a jack-o'-lantern, which I was like, oh, kind of thing where I was like, I'm almost surprised that hadn't happened yet yeah. in a movie or a Halloween movie. And there's some great shots of Michael Myers. I mean, same great shot from the script of like him hanging out in the pumpkin, like watching like the sheriff and stuff. Which, by the way, I love the idea of like the sheriff having Judith Meyer, Deborah Myers, uh, oh, her ashes. Yeah, because after they dug up the body, he was kind of like, well, clearly we can't just rebury her. <laughs> so he has her cremated and is just like keeping her ashes in his office, and then uses it to taunt Michael during the climax. Um, there's also a great moment at the end because like Amy handcuffs herself to Lori. This not a great idea no, on her no, part, really. but you know she doesn't want her to get away and. Lori seems like she's gone full crazy at this point, and there's a part where you think she's going to stab Amy, but ends up cutting off her own hand, uh, and kind of her, I guess her last, like her choosing to be good yeah. right at the end. Um, and I also like that Goodman's like plan is to blow up Michael, and then he <laughs> yeah. ends up just sort of ineffectually blowing himself up yeah. at the end. Um, and then, yeah, it, I also like the ending again. This, this one kind of acknowledging. It's like, well, obviously Michael Myers is not dead. And I feel like this one leans into it that, like, Laurie dies. And Michael's basically almost kind of like, as far as the uh, the great pumpkin illusion, I was going to say almost Charlie Brown's it yeah. at the end where he's just like, aw. And he just kind of, like, <laughs> wanders off. Um, he's like, well, now my mom's ashes are gone. My sister's dead. <laughs> Who knows what's going to become of him now? Sad, sad ending for Michael Myers. Yeah. Um Oh, and it's great, but I, I told you what you mean, that you just wrote this movie in a blind fury, and then the second it's done, they're like, and we're not making it. And you're like, well, yeah. all right, got that out of my system, I suppose, but, mm. hey, but it, it would have been fun. I think it would have been fun, yeah. I mean, it, there are moments, and you guys retelling it's great, because like there's stuff that I'd forgotten. But, you know, the moment at the end when when she's basically saying, I can't do this. And I think she actually takes the knife and just puts it over her heart and he pushes it in, knowing that, you know, she can't come on this road so she don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a great, that was mm-hmm. a great end. If anybody's going to kill her, it's got to be him. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and uh, I just dug it. Yeah, and, it's, and like I said earlier, it's a great bookend to yeah. to his films as well, you know. It's yeah. like very respectful and it's like, I, I, I like, because where else can she really go from there, yeah. you know, so. Well, I also like the idea that it's like, where else can the franchise go from there for her, like mm-hmm. as a movie centered on her yeah. and the fact that it just kind of ends with Michael Charlie Browning off into the, yeah. the wilderness. Cause what I always want with any of these classic slasher movies, Freddie, Jason, uh, Michael is I miss the eighties where it, like they made a Friday the 13th movie pretty much every single yeah. year in the 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now I know there's like a lot of money against the movies, yeah. part of what keeps holding up reboots, but I'm just I'm also just like, don't overthink it. Just yeah. Yeah. stick stick Jason yeah. at Camp Crystal Lake and let him I mean, chop a bump of ch- there's kids a, up. There's an old Carpenter's quote. We used to have it at the front of that screenplay, which is basically, you know, and it's the, it's the two approaches, Zombie's approach and Carpenter's approach were different. Zombie went in and explained explained the evil. Where Carpenter was like, it's it's just a fog that rolls in, and you don't know who mm-hmm. it's going to take. It could, you know, it's the guy next door who you know you grew up with. Suddenly, he kills somebody. It's that it's that unexplained. It could be anybody, and so 
that was that was always the the thought process which at the end when we come back for a sequel it will be you know he's just the guy who comes into town and you don't know you know you know it could be anybody that gets attacked mm-hmm. and so i always liked that like the old Incredible Hulk TV show. Exactly. He's just wandering around America, <laughs> with, with except the, not helping people. No, not at all. And, uh, and not to keep defending Halloween too, but that's what I like about Rob Zombie is because he what Halloween too is because he wasn't shackled by the first Halloween yeah. to do the same movie. You know, yeah. he starts with the hospital thing, and then he's like, "Screw you! I'm not doing yeah. Halloween too. I'm doing my thing." And that's what I kind of liked about yeah. it, it that it's it's his Halloween, Halloween too, and and I love the way you you pick it up from there you know i mean our intention was to you know we we went to scout we went to tyler i that's that's how i became close friends with tyler we're best friends now and it's because i drove up there and got drunk with him one night and we talked about doing this oh right on i was actually gonna ask because uh for listeners who don't know i have a screening series here in la called friday night frights which is i first met Mm -hmm. todd i showed jason x many years ago but i remember Uh, Derek Mears and Tyler came to the Jason X greeting, which I just thought was funny. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we I got mean, Jason and Michael here. I mean, <laughs> when we we were in, we hadn't written it yet, where we were about to write it, I met I I knew uh, Tyler's wife, and so I had driven up and, and I was just going to stop by for an hour, or so I ended up spending the night. And then, like two o'clock in the morning, we were just completely wasted, and so we walked over to Derek's house and toilet papered it. <laughs> and the three of us have been best friends ever since. <laughs> So Hard awesome. to imagine him <laughs> TPing somebody. Well, the Tyler's only person so, who can make TPing terrifying. Ty, Tyler's so tall, he can reach out I was going to say, it's like I watching can. Shaq dunk. It's just kind of like tip. Yeah. Um, well, so you showed us this before. I think one thing we always like to highlight on this podcast is how many, for any given filmmaker, how many unmade movies you have, uh, yeah, have for that. made movies. And another thing, too, is just part of how one gets so many unmade movies oh. is that after you've had a success, you kind of, a lot of doors open to you That's and true. people are like, Hey, we have this property. Do you have a take on it? Yeah. And so it's kind of like after every hit, you suddenly rack up this like impressive array of, Oh yeah. Or what were you going to say? Steve? Oh, just one thing before we get into all those, I had one last uh, Halloween question because I, I heard as a rumor a long time ago, but I was always curious: was it supposed to be found footage Halloween 3D at all at any that, point? He, uh, Bob talked about that after we got back from Drive Angry. When 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 the movie didn't happen, uh, we were going to come back after we finished Drive Angry and do it again. So we called and said, "Hey, let's do this," and he said, "Nah, yeah, let's do let's do Hellraiser." And so we spent, you know, six months on Hellraiser. And then after that, he came back and said, okay, let's do another Halloween, and I want it to be found footage. And we were like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> because that was, and we saw that with, with Hellraiser as well. He, he wanted the movie that was big at the time. Like Priest was a big movie, and so the first Hellraiser was like this big budget, heavy, big budgeted version of Hellraiser. And then he had seen something else and it got smaller and then he saw final destination and so then he wanted just teenagers and so we did you know draft it but that's that's sort of how he operated it was whatever's big at the time that's what he wanted and so found footage was a i'm sad i didn't get a 3d halloween movie yeah glad i didn't get a found Found footage footage, yeah yeah, yeah. we were we were against that that is a fad i was very happy to see and there was also pg-13 i think the found footage was supposed to be pg-13 and we were that would have been a double whammy we put I think in our H3D we put in the contract that we wouldn't do rated anything other than rated R. Yeah. Because we knew that that was a, a thing. So yeah. smart. <laughs> we thought so. Uh, but yeah, you got this very overwhelming right, so, list. So I moved out to LA in '96. So this is just 
the movies that I worked on that were based on something else. And by worked on, it means I did a pitch or I did an outline or I, or I wrote a script. And so American Werewolf in London, Amityville, Bedlam. Do you remember the old RKO picture? Bedlam? Yeah, with Karloff. Yeah, Bedlam, Bride of Frankenstein, which was... Uh, which I called Bride of Frank. It was kind of a comedy. <laughs> uh, Day of the Dead, Exorcist, The Fly, Freddy vs. Jason, Fright Night, several versions of Fright Night, Fun House, Ghost Rider 2, Halloween 9, Halloween 3D, Halloween What If. Halloween What If was going to star Sean Bean as uh, as Loomis. Wait, what is that? What is the What If? That just makes me think of Marvel comics. End uh, of the first movie. We would open at the end of the first movie. So Laurie's in the house, Michael's in the house, and um, instead of the chase upstairs, he falls out the balcony and gets shot. While it, you basically Sean Bean, an entire task force comes in and captures him, so the movie never ends as we as we thought it would end, and so so it goes off in a completely different. So it's sort of the old. You remember the old Marvel What If? Comics? Yeah, yeah, It was that sort of thing. What if at the end of the movie Michael Myers was was captured, and so that was uh, that was that take, and then uh, and most of these I won't even remember. But then uh, then we came back right before this current version of Halloween. Uh, our take was uh, was sort of a Halloween reboot, but it was with Kurt Russell as Loomis. And um, so then we did Hellraiser versions one, two, and three. We did Hitcher, or I did Hitcher, uh, House of Wax, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Uh, see, you remember See No Evil? Yeah. Uh, mine was called See Evil. Uh, Scanners, <laughs> uh, Sentinel, Snake, Stigmata, Texas Chainsaw, Tingler, Witchblade. And those were the ones. Wow. That's in my file of... Uh, Wow. Uh, dead projects. That's such a trip. It, it's so it's crazy too because you and the inside guys were attached to like a lot of the same project. Those two French directors because they were up for Hellraiser. They worked on Hellraiser. Yeah. They worked on Halloween. Well, and, I, I feel like so to mention, like, I'm almost surprised you didn't work on Children of the Corn because just based on my own meeting with Dimension, it just kind of seemed like they were like, "Hey, we got." Halloween, which had by that point already kind of moved away, but then they had Hellraiser, Children from the Corn. You know, now you say that I did do something. I don't remember what it was, but I do remember doing something with Children of the Corn. I think I went in and pitched like a sequel. Yeah. It wasn't a reboot or anything. It was just well, it was ages a ago. a couple of those out. I'm very intrigued by Fright Night. You said you did several, oh, several drafts or several versions. Fright Night, Clint Culpepper had it. We went in and pitched it with DeLuca, Roy, Lee, and during the pitch, and we we're five minutes in, and our pitch was basically, it's a world, a convention world, and it is a world where um, Roddy Piper's Roddy Piper, <laughs> Roddy, <laughs> Roddy, Roddy McDowell's character. I would watch was, a Fright Night remake. I know, I would too. By the way, Roddy Piper. Uh, and <laughs> Roddy McDowell's character actually, ex- you know, lived. He existed, and he had died, and he had done all these old Hammer movies. And uh, Tom Atkins and Jamie Lee Curtis had remade all those movies, and so they're on the circuit, and so they're the ones that get brought in to do the thing. Oh. So anyway, so we go to we go to Clint, we pitch this, and five minutes into the meeting, and Clint was he was the ran the studio at the time, and he was like, I. I know you guys here get it. I know everyone here gets. I don't get it. So let's not waste any time. Let's just let's just Ooh. end this. And by the way, I was like, cool. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go get a coffee. And uh, that was great. And then later, um, Deluca got the got the rights somehow. And so then he, we went out and pitched the same thing again at DreamWorks. And uh, so we pitched it twice. Same same movie. But I I loved it. I thought it was. I wanted to do it. That was <laughs> that was a big one. And what about Hellraiser? Hellraiser was. I mean, that was what we did after we got back from Drive Angry. Instead of doing Halloween, they wanted to do Hellraiser. So we came up with a very expensive uh, 
beautiful version, husband and wife, very adult, very dark, very S&M. And uh, we came up with a 40-page outline. And, and because when with Halloween, since we turned the draft in early, they ended up having to pay us. So we went through this whole ordeal of them saying, no, we're not going to pay you. And so because of that ordeal, we had front-loaded the, the Hellraiser deal. So we would get paid the majority of our money on the outline, which I don't know why they agreed to it, but they did. And so, but uh, then they came back and said, and like I said, Bob, it's Bob or Harvey, somebody had seen another movie and decided we don't want it to be as big. We want it to be smaller. We're worried that it's not young enough. So we made it about a father and a daughter. And, you know, the daughter has a couple of friends, so it younged it down a little bit. And then they, you know, and again, every time they came back, they're like, we love this. This is fantastic. Can we make it younger? Because we just saw Final Destination, and they're all young. And so, you know, we were asking our friends, what do we do? And our friends were like, just just try to get to the next step so you can get the rest of your money, so you can write the script. So just do it. And I think we came up with three wonderful versions. I didn't, I like the first one the best because that's the one that we wanted to do. The second one's pretty good. And the third one is fine, but it's the Final Destination version of Hellraiser, which is not what anyone wants to yeah. see. But if you got to make that, that's wasn't a bad version of it. But, no, I, mean, I wish they just kept going. Bob watched <laughs> The Sandlot the night before. I know he wants Pinhead, a bunch of scrappy little kids. Yeah. <laughs> was uh, was uh, the the actor that played Pinhead was going to return, or was it just a brand new reboot with uh... we when we pitch when we first pitched them, what we pitched was um, we pitched a poster, and it was um, Bill Fickner. You know Bill Fickner. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Those, for those of you out there in, in La La Land, uh, Google Bill Fickner, uh, F-I-C-H-T-E-R, and uh, you'll go, oh, that guy. Yeah. And so it, <laughs> I forgot he was in Contact, which I just rewatched oh, I last week. He, he's just fantastic in everything. So we get to, you know, yeah. he's one of the few guys that I still keep in touch with, and he's fantastic. But he's sitting in a chair. He's got a light coming down from above. I mean, it's, it's like a throne chair. It's an old wooden chair, big high back, and he's got three nails in his head, and, you know, you've got the, the, the you know, blood coming out of it. And it said... Um, it said uh, we had a couple of different posters. But anyway, this was this was our version of Pinhead, and the script the it was written in a way that you think this is the um, this is the origin story of Pinhead. That's what it, it sort of leads you to think. So that he goes into this world and he's searching for the cube and he gets in there. And when he gets in there, he meets the engineer, which is Doug, and Doug's old. And Doug is now passing on the torch to him. So it's at the end of the movie, you get this twist because the whole time you think he's mm-hmm. going to become Pinhead. But no, 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 it wasn't a prequel. It was actually a story. It was, you know, it was a story that took place somewhere else you know, years later. And yeah. so that was the idea. So it was a big twist. Wait, and, did you say you made this poster or you were just describing This was a poster it? that we described okay. to them. Okay, so if that, still, if that poster existed, it'd be hanging in my, yeah. in my, in my <laughs> office right now. No, it's so dope. But it was, uh, I th- no, what it was, we had this one giant picture of the cube and it, it said uh, the hole. And then, uh, and then we had a picture of, uh, of uh, Bill Fickner and it said the rabbit. And it said, how far are you willing to go? And... Uh, and so that was our that was our take, and we got paid a fortune for it. So oh, right on. And I mean, I don't even know if you remember because it was a while ago, but because that's a franchise that just the mythology ended up getting kind of all over the yeah, place. Uh, what were you drawing from, or were you kind of just starting over from scratch? We the the mythology was Clive's mythology, but it was this was a story that took place years after. It makes you think that this is a story that t- that takes place before. 
But this is a story that takes place years after the all of that, which is, you know. <laughs> well, Steve, the, I know you wanted to ask about Clock Tower. Yeah, I was oh, curious. That's right. Yeah, because, um, no, I was a fan of the game, and that this is a project they've been trying to make forever. Oh, forever yeah. yeah. And I was just kind of curious, like, what was that like for oh, you? Oh, it's the... I mean, without a doubt, it is by far the worst script I've ever written. Oh no! <laughs> oh, easily the worst script. It was one of those time. It was one of those time periods when the when Hollywood was changing, and it was when I first got in. You know, I had Dean Reisner who wrote High Plains Drifter and Dirty Harry and all these. He's one of my mentors, and I got Dean Laurie, who had been doing it long enough that he, you know, he was he was doing like he was writing for Ron Howard when I first met him, and then there was Jonathan Hensley. I was also working with and Jonathan Hensley wrote. Uh, you know, Die Hard with a Vengeance and Jumanji and, and you know, The Rock and on and on and on. And so these guys were all saying, you walk into these rooms, you fight. You've got these guys in suits. They can't do what you do. You fight. You mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, it's your name on the script. So you fight. Well, you also had these very young, hungry writers coming in and they're like, I won't fight you. And, <laughs> and you know what? I'll work for nothing. And so suddenly you had all, all of us who had sort of been working at this for a while were faced with, okay, what do we do? Because now we're not getting the jobs and all these, these other guys are getting the jobs and they're doing whatever they're told and they're doing it for nothing. And so this was one of those things where I kept getting notes and kept getting notes and I would fight them and fight them. And a buddy of mine finally said, you can't fight anymore. You gotta, you got, your job is not to tell the best story. Your job is to take their moronic notes and make them work. Mm. And so that's what I tried to do with the clock tower and it didn't work. I got you. And by the way, once I turned it in, you know, all the executives who had made me do all these changes and everyone, you know, the, the guys at the top who had read it and said, yeah, that's not very good. And we were like, I know. <laughs> yeah. We've been trying to get the guy to do better. But. That's what I hate. Especially like, oh, I don't, mm-hmm. why'd this happen? Why'd you do this in this scene? It's like, because you told me to, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, this, it's funny because this was the time that I became pretty good friends with Mark Swift because he reached out to me to say, uh, don't know if you know this yet, but... Your script just came across our desk, and they want to rewrite. Because they never tell you. So mm-hmm. you're on the project, and then suddenly, you know, you read in the trades that somebody else got the Halloween movie, because you never get told. Mm-hmm. And so it was Swift, who's just, you know, a competitive screenwriter, reaches out to me to say, I just want to let you know they're looking for other writers. And, I, and we've been best friends ever since, so. Yeah, it's hard because people don't realize, too, is when you get notes, you're not only getting notes from one guy, you're getting notes from someone else, and then their notes, like, go against each other, yeah, and then often. it's like a puzzle of, like, what do yeah. I do to make this all right? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, so. often contradictory, often. Uh. And, you know, you're, you know, there's there's certain techniques, and what you try to do is take take your changes and make them think, oh, you know when you gave me that note? Holy cow, that inspired me. This is what I came up with. So this is this is because of you. I wouldn't have thought of this if it hadn't been for you. And you've gone off in a completely different direction. And they're just like, so that you know they're running home and telling their girlfriend, I came up with it. And I'm like, I'm okay with that as long as the check clears. Um, well, maybe to wrap things up, uh, what do you have coming up that people can get excited about? Well, we just uh, we just wrapped Trick. We were up in. Uh, in the lovely uh, Skywalker Sound to uh, to finish up, so it's done now. It's coming out October eighteenth, and uh, that's uh, it's our version of a Halloween slasher movie with uh, Omar Epps and uh, a bunch of fantastic actors. We got Gary Tunnicliffe back and uh, Michael Walmacher who did who did composed our last two movies, and so it's it was it was fun. I mean, we were in New York where it's very cold. The uh, the Hudson River was frozen while we were there, and so we did a uh, we did a Halloween movie in the middle of uh, snow. 
Oh, wow. Although there's not a lot of snow on the ground in the movie, but there is some. <laughs> Important question. Is Frank in it? Uh, Frank is in it, yes. It's Tom Atkins in it. <laughs> of course he's in it. Yes. That's what I love. I love that you put him in every movie. <laughs> and by the way, he's fantastic. And now Tom and I are to the point where like, like we literally write letters to each other. Not emails. <laughs> we write letters. And so I just got like calligraphy pens so I can you know really impress him. Dude, I want them to put him in the f- next Fast and the Furious movie. As the I want him in everything. I want him in everything too, man. I love that. I mean, I've seen the movie a couple of times and, and he when he's on screen... He really is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just, you're just drawn to him. He gets the genre, always has and always will. And will this have a similar tone to like Drive Angry and your other stuff? No, this 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 has a serious tone. Now, he brings he's Tom funny. Atkins' right. tone to it, which is, you know, doesn't matter what we did. Yeah. He's going to bring Tom <laughs> Atkins to it, but he's fantastic. Uh, and where can people find you on social media if you would like them to no, find No, that's you? fine. I'm uh, Todd underscore Farmer. Um, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, and, and don't trust Facebook. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you can find Steve and I individually also on social media, and particularly you can follow Best Movies Never Made on Instagram and on Twitter as at Never Made Film. Uh, thanks for joining us for Best Movies Never Made, and if you're a fan of this podcast, you may want to check out Electric Surge's other podcasts, like the 430 Movie Every Friday, in which a group of writers and producers curate fantasy theme weeks of classic movies uh, question for you, do you remember the 430 movie? I feel no. like I was too young. It was a, a weekly I mean, I'm, movie on TV. The 430 movie, no. Yeah, I, I don't know, know why that. it was 430. Yeah, was that was, like right after the news? Yeah, I know, but, that, a, but why 430 instead of 4? It's in New York where you get off of school. Yeah, yeah it's just New York, York after school. Well, yeah, it was in New York oh. thing because yeah. I used to watch it when I got home. I saw Kingdom of the Spiders on 430 movie. and um, Really? Well, now I feel lame. I, I would just go home and watch DuckTales oh, and no, it was Chippendales awesome. Rescue Rangers. <laughs> I used to watch that too, but, fourth, it, but then it ended eventually <laughs> yeah. in the mid-80s. And so, but it was, it was pretty amazing. That's where <laughs> I saw all the Food of the Gods and stuff like that yeah. they used to play. It was pretty dope. But I digress. Also, right. check out Inglorious <laughs> Trexperts, the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life. Available every Saturday wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, including our producers Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. So until next time, this is... Steven Scarlatta. And Josh Miller saying, you won't see us at the movies. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.